0: away from the season one plus week into camp and what else is there to talk about but recruiting <laughs> it's the line 24 7 podcast Andrew Callahan back alongside Sean Fitz uh it's been a little over a week for us since we last had an episode because one of us on was on vacation shocker it was not me this time Sean you're back uh good break Good break. Uh, vacation with kids, which is... Uh, Different than the vacation be- I had. Exhausting. <laughs> Absolutely
1: exhausting. Two of them under four is, is great fun. But yeah, good good break. Good to be back. And uh, missed a little bit of news along the way.
0: Yeah, you did. Uh, Drew Scruggs committing a while back. Good get for the Lions. Top-rated offensive lineman within Pennsylvania. Coming out of Erie. Feels a good need for them. Uh, of course, uh, another one, which was, I think, a little bit more expected. Yeah, P.J. Mustafer, defensive tackle. It seemed like he was on the verge probably
1: since May. Uh, of course, he was he was visiting Tennessee, visiting Maryland, uh, keeping other schools in the mix. And, and Penn State's been at the top of the list for a long time, no doubt. But at the same time, it was just like... Come on <laughs> let's right, go right, with it right. so so fi- he finally pulled the trigger uh, i don't think it's a, a big surprise but it's a big get no doubt he's inside the top 100 in the 24 7 sports composite rankings uh obviously penn state has had some issues recruiting defensive tackles over the years and you know to get must in is a big deal i mean he's a big kid uh six four close to 300 pounds he's a wrestling champ he's got some natural leverage to him went out to the opening he's he's an elite prospect i think at that position and he's going to continue to grow um so anytime that sean spencer can get a guy like that that's got a pedigree it's a great start Mustafer is probably not a, a, a day one type of impact guy but at the right. same time he's he's one
0: that a lot of schools wanted he's he's a very good prospect and I think it's a, a really good pickup for Penn State. Most was, we mentioned on this podcast many times before, had a brother who went to Notre Dame. And I think when you alluded to, things were just, you know, waiting for when's it going to come, when's it going to come. You know, family familiar with the process uh, to survey all the options. But as you mentioned, since about May, you know, there was a connection there that just kept on building. And I think I, I saw him actually for that event. They had a team signing event. And there just seemed to be just this joy that he had in and around those recruits, which I'm sure you find at other campuses. But that connection only grew once you saw him follow up with different events on campus. And that's what really Kind of helps pull these kids in, as we've heard time and time again. It's not even so much the coaches saying, "Hey, come to Penn State; we've got a special class brewing." It's your fellow commits, and, and now he's number twenty-two. Yeah, PJ, uh, from from what we heard coming out of that event in May, which is a baseball game, uh, I
1: think that he was on board definitely. But you mentioned his family; they've been through the process before. The parents wanted him to slow it down, make make sure he makes the right choice. Sam, of course, uh, at Notre Dame. And, and you know he's had some some issues with the coaching staff there at times, but but at the same time, I think they just didn't want to have buyer's remorse. Uh, PJ's a kid great kid, by the way. He's a, he's a kid that's going to commit to a school. I don't think he's going to take any visits. I don't think he's going to look at things, but he he wanted to make sure. And I think when James Franklin talks to these kids about committing, uh, and he said it several times before, he does not want them taking visits. He does not want them looking at other schools. He wants them to be on board. And if they're not ready to do that, they're not going to take a commitment. Now, they, I think they've, they've kind of been waiting out PJ for a while. They thought he was ready I think he thought he was ready from what I understand, they were pretty surprised he didn't commit back in may, right. but uh, you know they they did their due diligence, they got out, and they saw Maryland a bunch who made a great run at him. I think uh, they were the, ended up being the number two school. But, uh yeah, I think it's a it's a big pickup for Penn State. He finally got on board and and at a position of need. I mean, they needed guys along the defensive line. They already had Dorian Hardy. Judge Culpepper is going to be a defensive tackle um it, yeah, but you needed Muster. He was a top target from 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 the very start and big pickup for Penn State.
0: and then I think that point that you just mentioned finding a spot of need is really where this. Focus shifts for Penn State as your class continues to grow to be one of the biggest in the country, and spots are limited. You know, even though it's a you know a a vague number, and there's still some flexibility in there. You know, it's not where you're earlier on, and you want to find like just purely best talent available. You can certainly be picky at spots, but but not now at certain positions. Right, and it's a two way street. I mean, the kids know what's
1: going on. The the staff is telling them there's not much room left at the end, and and you mentioned a little bit of wiggle room every time a chip falls, that impacts someone. Uh, A commitment from Mustafa could impact wide receiver. you know, it, right. it, It's more about the spots now than than the positions. Now, granted, they're still waiting out Aeneas Hawkins, who could announce this week, and things look good for Penn State. But you've, you've got guys still on the board, like Micah Parsons, Jason Owe, Tyreek Smith. Obviously, defensive line has been a huge priority for Penn State for the last month and a half or so. Uh, but then you've also got Rasheed Walker. Penn State still wants an offensive tackle in this class, and he's their top target there. A couple of receivers, Solomon Enos, Jahan Dotson, and just... It's going to make it really tough to take everybody they want. But then again, you look at the alternative, it's a a much better problem than some of the other schools in the conference are
0: going through. And that's what we talked about with Franklin and uh, Big Ten Media Days in Chicago. It's like we're now going to be in a position where we have to turn away very good prospects and very good kids. You know, a spot they didn't find themselves in in 2014 where, you know, no matter – Where Penn State is at a given time, they're going to have, you know, an ability to pick and choose. But now when they're recruiting at the level that they are, where you've got a top five class, we'll see how it finishes when all is said and done uh, in February. But, you know, they're going to have a lot of four-star kids who just say, you know what, sorry, like we're full. Good
1: problem to have, bad problem to have. But you know, it's a problem that you would have rather have than say if you're at Rutgers right now or something like that, where you're struggling just to get in, guys. So, I, uh, uh, you know, another big pickup in Mustafar. They're waiting out Hawkins. Uh, they got Scruggs last week, which surprised some people, myself included. Yep. Scruggs had taken a a step back for from the recruiting process. Had some legitimate family issues to deal with. But he hadn't taken a visit since, I believe, the Blue-White game back in April. Then all of a sudden, he comes through and and announces. I think he kind of caught the staff off guard. The people that I've talked to really weren't sure what was going on with him. And then all of a sudden, he got on board. From what we had been hearing, Scruggs, very high on Penn State. Scruggs' brother, high on Penn State. Scruggs' mother, uh, of course, from Ohio, high on Ohio State. But, uh, yeah, I think it's another big pickup. He was their number one interior offensive line target from the outset Obviously an in-state kid, the number one-ranked uh, offensive lineman in the state, as you said earlier. Uh, he's a guy, that, and James Franklin mentioned this in the press conference the other day, at media day. He's a guy with great length. He's going to be an interior mm-hmm. guy. He's going to be a or center. I believe he's number two center in the country, according to 24-7 Sports. Um, but, but this is a guy that's got tackle length. He's got long arms. Uh, he plays tackle in high school. Going to be on the interior, but it gives you some options. You want guards and centers that can play tackle and, and, and tackles that can play guard you know, play on the interior as well. And we saw that help just last year. Yeah, absolutely. You can, you can swing guys in and out. And when you've got uh, guys that can play inside out, I mean it's just going to help you in the long run and and really over the last couple of years you got a guy like Michael Mennett, who's who's an interior guy now but he mm-hmm. was a tackle he could could have played tackle he's athletic enough to do so um CJ Thorpe came in last year and CJ is is a big boy he's he's, he's not quite 6'3" or he might be right at 6'3" uh 320 but he's got long arms as well was a high school offensive tackle and you know I, I go back to and this is a while back, but uh, Quinn Barham was a guy at Penn State who was a guard all the way, center all the way, just a uh, short, uh, shorter guy. But he ended up at left tackle and started for left tackle. It wasn't the best guy, in the, you know, wasn't the best player in the world. Mm-hmm. But you know, he was a guy that had some length. They, they put him out at left tackle, and he was serviceable for a while. So um, Penn State on a much different level in terms of talent, uh, from, from when Quinn Barham was coming through, but as, as to now, but yeah, I think it's that same sort of thing. You've got guys with length that can step outside if they need to, uh, tackles may take a little bit longer to develop based on body type and, and length and things like that. But yeah, you've got guys that can play football. CJ Thorpe, phenomenal football player. Scruggs, great football player, uh, guys inside Mike Miranda, uh, of course, I'm going to mention him. Great football player. So you've got very good football players, tough guys that can can go inside and out. Uh, and yeah, I think Penn State's in a great situation for the next couple of years on the offensive line. There's
0: a lot of layers to that depth chart now, where you can take the hits that they did a year ago. Uh, real quick, because we do want to get to camp stuff. But I'm curious. You know, I don't have an answer to this, and people have asked. You know, when when the spots become limited, and let's say you know the class fills up and however long, there's obviously going to be a chunk of time between perhaps when that class does fill up and then when the kids can finally sign, whether in December or in February. For the staff now, does their attention entirely turn to 2019? I know you're always in contact with your own commits and you're constantly recruiting, but how much of your energy goes from, you know, devoted to a kid who has committed, you feel very firm about to we want to get a head start now that we can afford you because our class is pretty much put together.
1: Yeah, I think you look across the class right now and you don't see a ton of candidates for attrition. There are guys further out like Trent Gordon and, and Isaiah Humphreys and Judge Culpepper and Jordan Minor who are further out, which, you know, it could raise some red flags typically, but these guys have done nothing. They haven't have visited any other schools or, or given you any reason to think that they're not solid. So I just think looking across the class. It's a pretty solid class. You had Justin Fields, you had Micah Parsons who were the, the, the two flight risks in the class, and of course that that came to fruition. Mm-hmm. But still, I think uh, there's, it's a tight class, they'll be okay. Will there be attrition? Obviously, you can't you can't predict that right now. But would um, they transfer some of that focus to twenty nineteen? Yeah, say in like October, November? Absolutely, and and I think you can do that now. I mean, you're, okay. you're ninety ninety five percent full. I right. mean, you you've got guys that you've you've built an early base with guys like Nyque Hawkins and Caden Wallace in, in, in Jersey, guys that you could count on as possible early commits. But at the same time, um, you got football games to win. You've got expectations now. Whereas two years ago, this. Um, this, this stretch from August to December, you weren't recruiting as well because of the product on the field. Now you can put a product on the field. It's going to solidify those 2018 guys. It's going to make those 2019 guys more interesting. Mm-hmm. It's going to get them to campus for the Pitt game, get them to campus for the Michigan game, and, and even maybe for the Georgia State game, which is a night game. Yep. Um, so it, you've got opportunities to get these guys back on campus. I think you you can't help but look forward, um, but I don't think there's going to take as much work to keep that 2018 class in the fold right
0: now as, as some others in the past right and we've even seen their attention turn to some 2020 prospects which you always have you know your vision a little bit further out no matter where you are Uh, but even a crystal ball submission was put in by steve just yesterday in terms of an in-state prospect they're all in on we'll allow you to go to the site to check that out for yourselves Uh, but always one step ahead when it comes to recruiting now camp it hit last week They've been in pads a couple of times. Um, There's not a whole lot to learn, but before we even jump into those specifics, I'm curious as to your impression, because I'll go on in mine first, just of the overall attitude of this team and where they're at, because when we were able to speak with them intermittently during June and July, there was a lot of, I can't wait to get to camp. I just want to hit. I want to play football. Now they're here, and I think there's an essence of I don't want to get to the season quite yet because they realize, as the coaches have told them, that you want to build up where they need to be. Because, you know, offensively, you look at that team, obviously their weak spot in the offensive line should be much improved. Four starters back, a lot of young, raw talent that should make a jump. You're looking at that side of the ball going, you know, that that's ready where it should be in terms of where they want to go with the college football playoff. Defensively, there are some softer spots there. And we've even heard Brent Pry, you know, tell Mike Poorman at statecollege.com. We feel like we've got nine proven guys. There are spots to fill. And there, I think they're looking to grow up and fill those, you know, perhaps not even holes, but, but weaker points. And I think they're appreciating camp, at least from where I stand, we've got three weeks, we want to make the most of them, then we want to get to Akron, as opposed to, yeah, we just want to get out in the season right now, and that, that's a healthy spot to be, I think, as a, as a whole football team.
1: Yeah, I think healthy is a good way to put it, and, and I'll hit you with some hard-hitting in, insider analysis. They look better. <laughs> And, and I, I don't know that that makes any sense. And yeah, you're can we, obviously laughing can that at that a little softer, But, but they look like they've been there before. That you know, Coming into the season the last couple of years, it was sort of just feeling out a coaching staff, feeling out a new offense, feeling out uh, new coordinators or something like that. But they just look like they've been there before. They look like they know the expectations and they're expected to be good and, and they've embraced that. And I think that was probably one of the worries going into the camp, is how do you deal with the expectations now that there actually are expectations? I look at a guy like Juwan Johnson, who has caught, what, three balls or or, or something like that, and they're looking at him as a potential number one. I look at a guy like Aaron Monroe, who is probably a potential backup safety, can compete for that open safety spot. They just look more dialed in. And and I don't like to say that because it's kind of cliche. It's actually really cliche. But they, they look like... They're a team that knows the the uh objective their purpose yeah they 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 know what they're doing and and I think that the the little bit of practice that we've seen so far has been fluid. Um, you you've seen a little bit more of excitement, a little bit more jump in the step. I think the players look bigger. I, I mean, just yeah, I think that the off season has has really benefited them in terms of uh, of adding some some muscle and and things like that. And you look at the offensive line right now; it looks like a, a big time college yes. offensive line. Whether or not they're going to make that giant leap that we talk about, uh, it, it remains to be seen. But they look like they can. You've got Connor McGovern at center, which you had Brian Guy Brian Guy there last year who played admirably. Yeah. But you had three inches and 20-some and pounds, and that's a big deal in the middle there. So I just think across the board, they look bigger, they look more ready, and, and that's not uh, in-depth analysis, but I think that they, there's just a business-like approach
0: to it this year, and, and you see that when you're at practice. And it's the second week of camp, too. So we say this now, knowing we've got very limited information you know at our disposal, um, but it is something that, had that not been the case, and, and we talked about those expectations. You know, if those had been affecting them at this stage, you know, obviously that's going to be an issue moving forward. Clearly it's not, and I think, you know, if anything, because we're around the team so much, we almost get tired of the storylines as much as I'm sure they are answering questions about expectations. So at this point, they're very experienced about, like, how are you going to deal with the expectations? Well, I've only been contemplating it for six months now because you guys keep asking. Yeah, I think Brendan Mann, by the way, very excited to do his last media day. (laughs) (laughs) It
1: it, uh, it can be fun for the players, but yeah, when when you're twenty. 23 years old and, and you've been through it for five years so I think that's it's time to wrap it up for those guys and they, they appreciate
0: that yeah and honestly you know a little uh, kind of behind the curtains here we have the big media day of course and that room doubles in size in terms of population just people that are in there that normally wouldn't have been in terms of normal people on the beat and you have questions that either have been covered as I mentioned months ago or that are just totally out of left field so he will cringe when he hears those things and I will sitting in my own seat just going I know what this exact answer is going to be or you're going to get shut down or this is just a waste of all of our time um so it's there's a little bit of everything right now going on on august you mentioned kind of cliche things questions that shouldn't be asked but at this point there are only three weeks till camp and, and moving forward there you mentioned juan johnson like that was someone you had spoken to people on the staff that oh yeah there it, it, was a hype train going and that's only picked up speed. Since. yeah the,
1: in the spring uh, he was obviously the breakout guy they thought it was going to be saeed black now who went down with an injury and Juwan stepped in put in the work and got where he needed to be uh tremendous buzz about him right now and that's that's not only with the spring but the start of camp and the, and the summer uh he's a pro prospect no doubt a high level pro prospect uh I was talking to Josh Gaddis the other day and he just he thinks the world of him um I, I still think Deshaun Hamilton probably going to lead the team in receptions yeah but Juwan Johnson's going to be your big play guy this year um he's he's not going to step in and replace Chris Godwin right away once he feels himself out I think he can be you know as good as anybody coming through there
0: Right. Uh, I was able to chat with Brandon Smith again a little behind the curtain. Sean is Spoken a lot about the offense. That's for a reason. He spoke with the offensive players and coaches during Media Day. I went on the defensive side. Brandon Smith uh, telling me he's been full time at the Will, which is interesting to me because when you look ahead to, to 2018, of course, big exciting season coming up, but things are going to move on eventually. He and Jason Kabinda are going to leave after the season, which would have left them devoid of anyone to fill in at that Mike linebacker spot next fall. Uh, however, it looks like from a very preliminary look, Jake Cooper, they're hoping to slide in as the direct backup to Jason Kabinda. If Kavinda goes down, who knows if maybe Smith slides back over there. But Smith moving not only affects the depth chart at Mike, but also Manny Bowen at the will, who we've not seen as much of. Uh, and obviously, I, I pointed to this a number of times in the offseason. The speed that he and Cole Farmer, who should be at the SAM, afford them, is just a different dynamic there in that front seven. But, you know, who knows how things go? Because Smith has seen action both with the first and second team so far in camp.
1: Yeah, and, and Bowen, I think, is still going to be a key player. I think he probably will end up being the starter. But I think you can cross-train him because you mentioned with Cabinda leaving, with Smith leaving, you need a Mike for next year. Jake Cooper has never been healthy. Um, that's that, That's not a theory. That's just it's just the way it's been. So can you cross-train Manny Bowen to be a Mike? I know he's not a natural Mike, but if you can put somebody with experience to make the calls in there like Manny Bowen, and Penn State has done it for Years, no matter what the coaching staff was, uh, moving a guy, a veteran from outside and the inside. I think uh, you know Bowen could be that guy. Um, you know you got to get him healthy. You got to keep Koa Farmer um, coming off the edge healthy as well. Um, but yeah, I, I like. I don't love where Penn State's at in linebacker. I like. I like them a lot. But you got four starters there that can get it done. It just I think probably the the hesitance that I have is you saw twenty nine linebackers get hurt or whatever last year for Penn right. State. So um, so that, that that's always going to be an option. But you're starting to fill that out a little bit more. Cam Brown can come around. Jarvis Miller has some development. Element to, to go uh, at, at the uh, Sam spot but you've got bodies you've got uh, two or three deep depth chart of scholarship guys so I think you'll be okay there and I think it now a great time to mess around maybe putting Bowen in the middle uh, moving Smith around he's smart enough to play everywhere uh, Cabinda is smart enough smart enough to play both positions so you've got options and and it's not like one will goes down you replace him with the number two will one mic goes down you can replace him with the number two Mike you've got yeah, it's Smith, the best there. combination you got Smith there. there that you can move all over the place and, and you've got options now which i think is is a great thing.
0: And an important point to mention, you know, that Mike and Will spot are very similar. Both box linebackers, you know, if you're playing the Will, you might be a force player more, uh or playing the flat a little bit and, and it's largely inside out for that inside spot with the Mike, but you know, you can cross train because responsibilities aren't entirely different and there's not as much translation as if you were to go to that Sam where you're really playing a lot in space often lining up and, you know against a slot receiver occasionally. Because uh, Penn State will stay in its base defenses when teams split out to three wides, which right now is the most popular personnel formation offensively in college and really pro football. Now, you mentioned not being so thrilled about Penn State's linebacker situation. I think that brings up a good point. Um, because in terms of not just linebackers, but this would also be true for them, the defense as a whole is not devoid of playmakers, but in terms of just proven turnover generators you look and and Marcus Allen's one of the better players in this team of course Jason Kabinda is too Marcus Allen's still looking for that first career interception a year ago Jason Kabinda had one sack against Ohio State and zero interceptions
1: yeah Brandon Smith was the guy that they actually the takeaway guy last year and the other one is doing an internship in, in, in Portland at Intel and John Reed so uh yeah I think that's a that's a legitimate concern you don't have guys that have taken away the football um, you'd like to see Marcus Allen be that guy you'd like to see somebody like Grant Haley or, or, or Christian Campbell step up and get there and I think Lamont Wade could be that guy I don't know that he's going to be that right away but hey, that kid's got a nose for the football and like a lot of people that we've seen so I th- I think that the potential is there but you don't have the Brandon Bell that was just seemed to be around the football and, and could take away the football as well um, you don't have that guy out there so they're going to have to develop that I don't know if it's if it's a natural thing like I said Smiths are always around Around the football, he's one of your better red zone defenders. Um, I think Marcus Allen has been around the football, but hasn't gotten the takeaways. So I I don't know that we're going to see a tremendous amount of interceptions. But uh, they can go after, get some strips and things like that, and and put the ball on the put the football on the ground, which is good. But yeah, I I don't know that there's a guy that in crunch time you're going to turn to for a turnover right now.
0: Right, and I think that is a, a concern. You know, something they're going to work on, they have over the course of the off season. We've heard so much about the defensive backs, you know, just really saddling up to that jugs machine and just as much as they can, uh, as well as in the film room and particularly with an open safety spot. But... Uncertainty when it comes to turnovers is much better than looking at this defense and saying there are no playmakers. Like there's zero potential. You know, defensive end, you've got question marks on both sides, but you've got potential there. Shakatoni and Shane Simmons perhaps on third down, Ryan Buckholtz, Torrance Brown, and of course Sharif Miller, who could be first, second, and third down. So there's depth, it's just a matter of finding out, you know, where is the answer? It's not what is the answer going to be. It's not necessarily it's going to mean a yes. I think Penn State's defense in its best version will need Marcus Sound, of course, not that interception, committed to come up with more turnovers and someone to fill in that pressure on the defensive line. Because, you know, we all saw what Garrett Sickles and Evan Schwan did for most of that season. Um, And if they want to get to where they want to go, it's going to require more playmaking on the defense, which was actually just below average nationally.
1: Yeah, and they got to finish. I mean, they they obviously did not do that against uh, USC. Uh, Pressure is great. Um, sacks are good. I, I think pressure is, is something that you can not really quantify as much as sacks, but you, you need to get around there and you need to put, get your hands on them. And they did not do that to Sam Darnold. Um, and it showed. So I, I, just to get this team off the field, I, I think the offense is obviously the, it's going to be the high octane that that we've seen over the last year. Um, but uh, you want to get that defense off the field. And cause, cause with this offense, you could turn that into a, a seven point swing the other way. And I think that, you uh, you know, all the pressure is going to be on the offense. Or excuse me. All the pressure is going to be on Brent Pry and the defense. And I don't know that there's a, a a game swinging guy on this defense right now.
0: Did I mention Kevin Gibbons, though, about the pressure? Because I, uh, waiting, I would really for that, I would yeah. break stride <laughs> with the, with the that. podcast if I did. Kevin Gibbons is going to have a big year. You heard it here first, second, third, fourth, and fifth. Uh, so moving on, camp is obviously going to progress. And there's a really good mailbag question. I'm, I'm eager to get to. But right before we do that any area of camp, we just talked about the lack of playmaking, that you're going to be eyeing when we'll be able to stop by tomorrow, Wednesday as we will for each week uh, prior to the season opener. I, I, I have it marked
1: down here to talk about the tight ends because I'm, I'm so intrigued by the situation. Yeah. Even though Mike Jasicki is going to get 90-95% of the snaps like he did last year, but you've got John Holland. Or 88. Yeah. Some, was some was guy 80... keeps snaps. I don't know who it is. <laughs> Weirdo. Uh, <laughs> but no, uh, you've got John Holland who had a great spring and has really come along in the last uh, probably 8-10 10 months. And then you've got Nick Bowers, who's coming back into the fold, who they expected to be the backup tight end last year before he got hurt. I just think uh, there's a lot of potential. The, The numbers aren't great there, but there's a lot of potential and you've got a lot of different options. Obviously, Nick Bowers and John Holland are not Mike Jasicki, who's basically a fourth wide receiver. Um, and a very good one, um, but uh, yeah, you you've got options there, and I'm excited to see how those guys pan out. Not because I I, I don't know that uh, anybody's going to step up with sicky but you've got options there where you can throw a shoulder into someone. John Holland was a defensive end. Nick Bowers was uh, you know a 270 pound guy that, that can move as well. So you've got options in there. I think you can get a little bit more out of the tight end position this year. Uh, Tom Pancoast was admirable in, as a backup last year, and you might see him at times this year. But I think you've just got a better Across the board, you've got better options at tight end, and I'm
0: excited to see how that can develop. For me, it's going to be the return game. You know, Penn State has been waiting for ages on a punt return to go back the other way for six points, you know, and so many kick returns there for Miles Sanders, who people forget that was his first season doing that as a true freshman. Um, was so close to breaking so many runs. And I think they got you know further and further as the season progressed. It wasn't a linear progression by any means, particularly with the fumbles. But I think there's a guy who coming into a second season, the learning curve is, is pretty much over at this point. And you're really just trying to maximize your natural athleticism, of which we know Miles has a ton of that. So I think I, I'm not guaranteeing a return here for a touchdown, but I think that's that imp- what I heard. <laughs> I think uh, that improvement will be noticeable This season in terms of field position, which are really one of the more underrated aspects, you know, even among media in terms of how successful a football team is when you can just shrink that field and how far you have to go to score points using special teams. And I think Penn State will be better in that area. I don't know about coverage. It's a lot more uh, intricate and a lot of more variables there going on. also in terms of who you're going to play, but at least in terms of that return game. You know, if you're Penn State, you'd love to see someone seize that job, win it, and they've got a lot of competition, including uh, freshman KJ Hamler, who we saw at camp and looked pretty fluid. Yeah, he's
1: a, he's an athletic guy. He's explosive, and when he committed, Penn State said, "This is our punt returner of the future, no doubt." I mean, he's a guy that can, he, he he's squirrely. He can move around. He can he can shuffle through holes that you don't expect him to get to, and he's got to get healthy, no doubt. Uh, he he tore that knee up in high school, and and honestly, it's really disappointing because he went to IMG Academy for his senior year. And he was just going to kill it there. I mean, (laughs) the slot receivers in high school and, and you know, in seven on seven and and these national tournaments, the slot receiver is your most deadly guy, just because you don't have guys that can hang with a kid like KJ Hamler. If you're, if you're at IMG when there's so many weapons around. So really interested to see him in the new offense, but yeah, as a punt returner, he can make a difference. Uh, Miles Sanders, you mentioned as a kick returner can make, can make a real difference. He's got a hold on to the football, but he can definitely make a real difference. But yeah, we're, we're talking about young guys all over the place and, and James Franklin brought up a couple in Media Day. And we actually had a report earlier last week uh, mm-hmm. highlighting these two guys, but Tariq Castro Fields, uh, Gross Matos. Just uh, turning some heads so far. This is some athletic kids up front that uh, have tremendous size, for, or excuse me, tremendous length for their positions. Matos, uh, probably 6'5 plus, 245, looks like he's about 210. Um, he has some work to do in the strength areas, but yeah, he's got a ton of explosion. Great athlete off the edge, and, and he's going to be a good one at Penn State. Castro Fields, uh, at the top of the charts in terms of testing all over the place, and, and
0: another athletic kid with exceptional length um and, and he I, was I, a lot thicker he walked directly by me in practice the other day a lot thicker than i anticipated for a guy who, who coming in was like he's going to need to add some weight he's yeah, done that very quickly yeah he
1: was about 170 pounds last season and now he's about 185 188 somewhere in there which you know you don't think about it because when you saw him as a prospect he, he was skinny no doubt yeah. but yeah he's added some muscle he's uh you know he's always been athletic but man he's He's one of those guys, one of those four guys under 4-4 uh, for, the, for the hand testing this summer. And yeah, it's just potential through the roof. And Penn State needs somebody to step up at corner. You've got a couple guys that have proven themselves, but you've also got a couple guys where you know, you're know you not sure about uh, Amani. You're not sure about Zach McPherson, Lamont Wade, uh, tremendous Prospect, You're not sure what he's going to do. So the opportunity is there for Castro Fields. I think he can play this year and I think he can have an impact. And and when you talk about guys that are six foot, six foot one, 185, are going to be a, a 195, 100, or 200 pound cornerback mm-hmm. eventually they can also play special teams for you so he can step in there and play special teams as well. And yeah, I think those are, those are two young guys that I like. Of course, we've talked about Wade. We talked about Mike Miranda several times. He's a guy that I think is they're going to, it's going to be tough to here keep we, him off the field. Go. Yeah. It's going to be tough to keep him off the field. The kid's a brawler. He's, he's going to punch somebody in the face and you're going to love it. Um, but uh, yeah, he's another guy that uh, you put him beside CJ Thorpe. And you know, the, those two, I think are, are a little bit more known quantities than what you're getting with Des Holmes and Robbie, uh uh, Rob Martin, who you brought in, is the other two guys uh, in that class on the offensive line, so miranda and c j Thorpe high floor and and, and honestly a high higher ceiling guys is, is Thorpe, but Miranda can be a three or four year starter as well just uh they've uh, the early returns are good uh, you don't want to say they've sure. hit on these guys, but the early returns look good for some of these freshmen.
0: From freshmen to seniors, into the mailbag. Uh, First question we had via Twitter this week was, which senior forced to play early due to the sanctions could have used a redshirt year? So we're looking at seniors right now on the roster
1: there's quite a few actually just going through and it's kind of surprising because there aren't too many seniors on the roster but a lot of them are true seniors Uh, a guy looked to right away Troy Apke I don't they used him for special teams as a freshman I don't think they needed to use him that year and if you could get two years out of him as a starter at safety which you know he looks to be probably the front runner right now at at that other safety spot Mm -hmm. um, yeah that would be nice it would be a nice luxury to have uh beyond him Christian Campbell um w- was hurt uh, a couple of seasons just his missed time here and there throughout a couple of seasons he played as a freshman just because he's an athletic freak um you know you can put him out there like Castro like I said with Castro Fields you can put him on special teams as well I I think he's a guy that you'd like to have an extra year with especially with, with with John Reed missing this
0: year and and possibly coming back next year you'd love to have Christian Campbell there for for a couple of years I think Saeed Blacknell on the opposite side of the line of scrimmage is a guy similar to Christian Campbell a lot of tools great speed you know good length and size but the injury bug has just bitten him and and people heading into the season were just so charged about i think he's going to break out because we have that very fresh memory in our minds of the big 10 championship game and of course he didn't play in the rose bowl so that's all you have but the greater body of work just just tells me he's not a guy that you could trust for such a breakout and it's not because of the tools aren't there it's just been the injury history and the lack of consistent production so had he had a redshirt year i think you're looking at someone you know perhaps this year or next that okay guarantee you know would just have a, a healthier body bigger faster stronger all those things that come with taking a year off from playing on the field um and, and this was someone you mentioned when we were discussing this before the podcast and i think it probably agrees jason Kabinda. you know he, he was able to play effectively as a sophomore certainly as a junior and will be as a senior but you know who knows He was telling us a story as a sophomore where he bulked up to almost like 245, 250. And that's because, of course, as a freshman transitioning, you want to add on some more weight and sustain your season playing in the college game. But that's just too much. And I think that's an issue he could have been able to figure out with a redshirt year, and then a freshman year. So if he's bulked up as a freshman, he still has three years you know, to go at your proper weight where he's really figured that out as a junior and now as a senior knows exactly where he needs to be. And I think two guys to parallel with the two guys that you mentioned, Ellis Brooks just came
1: in over 230 pounds. He's listed at 220 on the roster, but he came no. in over 230 yeah. pounds um, legitimately. He didn't need to be over 230 pounds. So I think they're trying to take some weight off of him. And I I think you're going to see that parallel. I think he's in line for a red shirt. I think that's the best thing for him. And I think that's, that's sort of what we're looking at with Cabinda. Penn State's not in the same situation they were in in 2014 or whenever when these guys came in. Um, a, a guy that I parallel with Black now is Daniel George. Daniel George mm. is a phenomenal athlete. Said was a phenomenal athlete, very productive in high school. Both of them were, but they're not natural uh, wide receivers in terms of running routes and and, and sort of the finer things. So I, I think that yeah, you can see Daniel George taking a red shirt next year, even though he's a, he's a freak athlete. He's a guy that uh, you know is at the top of the charts in testing and everything like that. But Penn State. It doesn't need him they've got a pretty good wide right. receiver group right now and if black now had that luxury which he did not when he came in i think that that's something that uh, that that you look at and you say oh, i wish i had another year out of this guy and black now's got to I- embrace the situation i mean he had a tremendous spring in 2016 got hurt the first game of the year in 2016 got hurt uh excuse me got suspended at the rose bowl got hurt in the spring so mm-hmm. it's just kind of one hiccup after another and, and and sort of guys have passed him because of that juwan johnson was able to break out and he's now you're looking at him at the x whereas black still over at the z with deandre tompkins and who, who you know who could be the starter as well so right. uh he's got to you know avoid these hiccups he's got to stay healthy and, and and if he does that he's got the potential but yeah it's just kind of been one of those things after another. And you'd like to see him have an extra year to sort of round things out because he's he's not a great route runner. He's a guy that you can send down the field. He can obviously make plays, but I don't know that he's going to have the consistency
0: of a Godwin or something like that. Next question. This is the one I alluded to earlier in the podcast. How does training camp change as the team gets closer to the I, season? Opener? I
1: actually want to stop you there and go back because there. Uh, and this was this the, the last question was fascinating to me not only because of the seniors that were here during the sanctions, but there's guys on the roster who are still impacted by that. And I think a lot of that goes back to linebacker. Um, Jake Cooper is a guy who definitely needed a red shirt. No business playing as a oh, true okay, freshman. Gotcha. Yeah. Cam Brown is a guy that probably could have used a red shirt. Well, so they said as much that he that we shouldn't have been able to shouldn't have played him. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, I th- there's guys on this roster now that really could have used that red shirt, and they're going to get to their career and uh, at the end of their career, and we're going to be talking about them like we did the four guys earlier. So the the impact of the sanctions, uh, you know, while a lot of that has gone by the wayside, and Penn State has done a nice job of curve busting. Um, you know, it, you're still going to see it with guys like Jake Cooper, Cam Brown. Uh, you'd love to have Brandon Bell on this roster this year. You forget he played as a true freshman sparingly. Um, but but those those guys were the guys that played out of need. So going back to that question, I think it's fascinating. And and you look at a guy like Cooper who spent most of his career hurt. Well, he didn't need to play as a true freshman. That's that's a direct right. link to. Well, Mark Emmert—that's a direct link to the <laughs> cause sanction. Yeah, yeah, cause and effect. Um, wh- whereas, you would love to see him get a red shirt year, and and will his career rebound from that? You just don't know, and that's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Moving back to your other question. Okay. Sorry sorry yeah. to interrupt. No, that.
0: no, it's okay. I, I told you I was excited about this question. You, if you couldn't tell before, I, I jumped the gun there a little bit. It was a good point. Uh, training camp, how does it change as the team gets closer to the season opener? So the first week, obviously, is reserved largely for fundamentals, things they worked on in the spring. And then, you know, there's that period in the middle where you're still honing those same skills, but you're adding to the playbook. And then the part that gets really interesting to me, and we asked Jeb Morehead about this uh, just over the weekend, you know, at what point are you going to start to install for Akron? Because James Franklin has told us, you know, listen, we've got basic game plans for our first four opponents, and that's smart, you know, because at that point you're not going to have a lot of film to work off of before you go play out there, so you might as well look at last season. Um, and they said about 10 days beforehand, so that integration of this is Akron-specific work with the scout teams and determining who's on the scout teams will be about 10 days out from when they play. Uh, but until then, you're building that competition, you're diving deeper into the playbook, and you're also you know, watching who, who is surviving or winning this kind of war of attrition that always is training camp. There are no more 2 days but the mental grind is still very much there. Who's going to stay disciplined enough? And we can talk all we want about so-and-so looks good now, so-and-so looks even better. But it's going to be, how about two or three weeks into this? Because that is exactly what the season is, is a grind.
1: Yeah, and they've talked about when they want to have these position battles settled or anything like that. And you talk about two weeks into camp is sort of the benchmark. And and Penn State, I think this year, is, is miles above where they were last year because you don't have a quarterback controversy. You don't have a quarterback competition where you know, you're trying to get guys equal reps. Trace is the guy, no doubt. Tommy is going to get his reps, no doubt. But, um, you know, Trace is the guy that you roll with, and that can help you as you get into rolling out that install. It's just going to help you uh, develop more as a team before then. And I think that that, that's a big thing when you're talking about uh, looking at this team and and their potential. You've got more time to grow as a team before you can actually get into game mode, which I think is
0: going to be huge. Right. And also those position battles. One in particular, uh, Charles Huff was telling us, in terms of the returners, They're going to wait as long as possible, which I think is something you do because there's not a whole lot of interaction there with with the rest of the special teams. It's just a matter of how does each individual perform, and you can evaluate that on a very individual uh, basis. So they're going to wait as long as possible. Of course, you'd like someone to seize the job, but they're going to give that time to see as much competition as they can. And you've got six offensive linemen coming back that have started. Maybe it was six or seven. Yeah, they Doesn't feel good about nine guys. Yeah, so that's yeah. a lot.
1: I mean, that that's a big difference than, oh, you've got a couple guys that have started. You've got a couple redshirt freshmen that are going to push for time. Um, you you don't know who's going to be your, your left guard. Or something. It's very different this year. You've got guys that you can put at different spots. You've got Brendan Mann, who's who's played all over the place. And, and you've got Andrew Nelson coming back from injury. But even without those two guys, you've got a pretty good nucleus of, of offensive linemen. So I think you're far ahead in terms of uh, what you can do
0: with some of the positions there. Last but not least, how do you expect Saquon Barkley, who I can't believe we brought him up once in the podcast. I think you mentioned him once so far in the first one. You what, mentioned media. Uh, these, these things are all old hat. I mean, <laughs> yeah. we,
1: we kind of roll our eyes when we talk about Barkley anymore just right. because – Which I is mean, no, nothing on him. No, no nothing there. on him. But he's it, – it, it's almost like, yeah, you, you know what you're going to get from Saquon yeah. Barkley. He's phenomenal. He's the best running back in the country. But, yeah, I mean, it's just Well, like, well
0: we don't know this. And this is a question. How do we expect him to be utilized differently in the passing game this year compared to last season? This well, you, a, you know he's going to be good. You know he's going to jump over I, people I and just, score touchdowns. It, it was but, yeah. a nice lead-in transition. that it was now nice. we're am glad on. I could blow it up. It's yeah. all right. At least the rust is only showing 37 and a half minutes into this because well, I was on vacation, right? Then. No, but I'm saying like, this is better than expected because when I came back from vacation, it was a freaking mess. Um, <laughs> so the original question is how is Barkley going to be utilized differently in the passing game? And I asked him in a way, you know, because obviously this has been known, there are wrinkles, there are every year, but with a guy like number 26, you want as many wrinkles and ways to get him the ball as possible. So I said, when you learned about those ways, A, what were your thoughts? When, and when did you learn about them? And he said, basically, you know, this is my idea when, when Franklin challenged me to be a better receiver. Since then, over the summer, I've been lining up in the slot, working with Deshaun Hamilton, whole lot on his route running, and, you know, they're going to kind of go from there. So last year, you know, and watching some of their games a year ago, uh, very recently, you know, there was a lot of action in the slot, starting with Ohio State game and then moving on. Typically unfolded either still into a straight handoff, you'd have a, a swing route, a wheel route and that's basically where they kept him with the occasional screen. I think this year if he's working with Deshaun Hamilton, you know, on various releases out there in the slot, they might just leave him there and keep a route tree, you know, still pretty small. He is a running back by nature. But, you know, an occasional a slant, a hitch and go, things that aren't difficult to teach but get better with more repetition. And I think that's where he could burn, you know, different linebackers. Like, you want to trot out there and, and cover him up against the sideline? You know, some guy who's normally in the box all the time, like, good freaking luck. Like T.J. Watt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a shame we're on a podcast or else we would be playing the wheel route against Wisconsin
1: over and over here. But, yeah, I mean, he's a guy, and, and in addition to that, when 26 is on the field, everybody's got to account for him. And and whether that's he's in the backfield, he's in the slot, he's lined up out uh, split out wide, somebody's got to know where he's at at all times and that's just going to help open other people up. And if you can move him all over the field, you can get him in a in a two-back backfield, um put him in motion. Uh, that's very tough to 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 guard. So you're going to put you're going to find some mismatches. I think he can work out of the slot. I think he can work out all over the field. He's just a phenomenal football player. But yeah, he's he's going to be a guy that you have to put a put a couple helmets on and, and see what happens. And that's good for the rest of Penn State's offense. All
0: right. So yes, you know the slot thing isn't new, but I think what he'll be able to do out of that might be instead of just always coming back in motion, you know, towards the backfield, either a handoff or it's a play action, what have you. I think they'll probably keep him out there a little bit more. Uh, and it's always just getting him on the edge so perhaps you know even the old uh, beloved bubble screen uh to return with Saquon Barkley and to stir the pot there a little this, bit I thought
1: the tunnel screen was going to come
0: out actually that, that would be fun No you'd have you'd have to start out wide for that but that that would be a lot of fun to watch but but bottom line when when you're en- your possibilities are endless you know you're in a good spot and that's essentially where they are with Barkley whose, whose weaknesses are are you know needle in a haystack at this point Um, so that'll about do it for episode number 14 alliance 24 7 podcast please find us on itunes still going strong with five star reviews uh frankly i don't know how we've gotten to 51 without a four star in there that would be acceptable we always take feedback good and bad so far it's all been good so please keep that up um but please find us there also on stitcher on the website, as always, anything coming up that you're looking to highlight that people should uh, watch out for in the next week or two?
1: Well, I think Penn State's still rolling uh, on rec- on the recruiting trail. Uh, Aeneas Hawkins looking to decide in the next couple of days, and I think Penn State looks good there. Uh, Sean yeah. Fitz reporting that Aeneas Hawkins is, is coming to Penn State officially. Yeah, That's probably not what I'm saying, <laughs> but uh, I don't want to get in trouble for anything. But no, I think that, uh, yeah, I think Penn State is, is going to keep rolling. Uh, the camp's going to keep going on. You're going to see some guys pop up, and you're going to get some younger guys into, into the mix. And I think that's going to be exciting because Penn state right now, talent wise, depth wise, just miles from where they were two or three years ago. So I think it's going to be exciting to watch and Penn state, you mentioned this earlier and I, and I meant to say something, but you walked in the media day completely full. I sat upstairs because I don't need to deal with that, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, it, Penn state's a national storyline again. And, and, and I think that's something that we talked about their approach, the business-like aspect of everything, Penn State's a national storyline. They're in the spotlight. You've got a lot of people following Saquon Barkley. You've got a lot of people following uh, Trace McSorley. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's exciting to follow them again and, and it's fun to follow them and, and they're scoring points and everything. And I, and you see that 9,000 new season ticket holders, that's mm-hmm. for a reason. So I think, I think over the next couple of weeks, it's going to be fun to watch this team develop. And yeah, it's only, it's only a couple of weeks away. We we can only talk about this so long
0: and, and right. Akron's in town. So it's going to be fun. So I'm glad you brought up media day. Cause then I'll close on this, you know, another little bit behind the curtains. So we go in there, chat with the players and coaches, produce a lot of content immediately after the fact we also store a lot of that for later on in the season. There are a couple of pieces I've been working on for a while that that have contributed to speaking with Sean Spencer, Terry Smith, uh, Matt Grover, Joe Moorhead, you know, and a variety of different players. So please stay tuned to Lions 24/7. We're going to have uh, a huge kickoff week leading up to Akron 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 and uh, of course we'll keep on with these podcasts here in the Lions 24/7 Penn State podcast. <laughs>